Hello, this podcast is part of our tax podcast series. I'm Veronica McMahon, a senior knowledge lawyer in our tax team, and I'm today I'm joined by Matt Green, an associate director in Osborne Clark's tax disputes team. And we're going to be looking at last week's Supreme Court judgment in Raymond Tooth versus HMRC, which has some important implications for discovery assessments in direct tax. Matt, before we get stuck into the case itself, perhaps you could just recap on what we mean by a discovery assessment. Uh, yes. Uh, well, if a revenue inspector discovers that you've underassessed your corporation tax or income tax liability for a given year, uh, then subject to certain conditions and time limits, they can issue what's called a discovery assessment, uh, basically in order to charge you for, for the lost tax. Uh, the rules are, are broadly the same for income tax and corporation tax. Um, that all makes it sound quite simple, but uh, there are lots and lots of cases which address things like Uh, the meaning of the word discover, uh, there's cases dealing with the various conditions for issuing a discovery assessment, uh, uh, and of course cases on on the time limits. Uh, The tooth case is the latest such case, um, and it's a significant one. So so looking at the case, what were the issues which the court was dealing with here? Well, there were two main issues. Uh, Firstly, what constitutes a deliberate inaccuracy in a document? Uh, And secondly, does a discovery assessment become stale uh, if HMRC don't act on it quickly enough. Okay, so can you talk us through the deliberate inaccuracy first? Well, the facts are a bit odd here, so I'll, I'll try and avoid going into too much detail. Um, essentially, Mr. Tooth wanted to claim uh, an employment loss. Now, as it turned out, the loss didn't work as a matter of law. Uh, it stemmed from a, a tax avoidance scheme, which ultimately failed. Uh, but obviously, Mr. Tooth couldn't have known that at the time that he was doing his return. Uh, So the online tax return form didn't enable uh, the taxpayer to claim the employment loss. Uh, The right boxes just weren't there, I think. So instead, he put the loss into the the partnership section. Uh, But he then added an explanation later on in the return, a so-called white space disclosure. So all in all, it meant that he self-assessed for the amount of tax that he thought he should be paying, and he explained clearly what he was doing. Now, HMRC... Uh, say that there was a deliberate inaccuracy in his tax return uh, because he knew he hadn't made a partnership loss, yet he put one into his return. But can I just interrupt? What, what, does, it, what does it matter if it was deliberate? Well, if a loss of tax is brought about deliberately, then HMRC have 20 years to raise a discovery assessment. So normally HMRC would only have four years or possibly six years if the taxpayer had been careless. Um, it gets a bit more complicated again in this case because a uh, provision uh, section 118 uh, sub 7 of the Taxes Management Act, uh, it deems a loss of tax to have been brought about deliberately uh, if it arises as a result of a deliberate inaccuracy. So even if you didn't want to understate your tax, but you made a deliberate, deliberately inaccurate statement uh, that in fact results in you paying too little tax, then HMRC have got that 20 years to raise a discovery assessment. And that mattered here because uh, they would otherwise have been out of time to do so. So um, the revenue actually wanted to push this point um, even further though. So they argued that uh, a deliberate inaccuracy uh, means only that the statement in the document was deliberately made. Uh, So it it was made intentionally rather than carelessly or by mistake. So if you deliberately make a statement that turns out to be inaccurate, even if you weren't trying to mislead anyone at the time, uh, that would be a deliberate inaccuracy uh, on HMRC's view. And the Supreme Court in this tooth case rejected uh, that view. So so what were the Supreme Court's reasons for that? Uh, firstly, just as a matter of, of plain English, uh, the deliberateness has got to attach to the 
making of the statement and to the fact that it was inaccurate. So you've got to intend to make the, uh, the, the, the statement and you've got to intend that it is inaccurate. Uh, the second reason, uh, and for me, this has always struck me as, as the biggest flaw in, uh, in HMRC's approach here, uh, deliberate inaccuracy, uh, that's a gateway to the taxpayer's exposure to a 20-year period uh, for, the, for the making of a discovery assessment. So on HMRC's view, a taxpayer could have a 20-year exposure to a discovery assessment if they made an honest, but in fact inaccurate statement, even after taking reasonable care. So the taxpayer wouldn't even need to be careless, and yet they could potentially incur a much longer exposure uh, to, to a potential discovery assessment uh, than if they had been careless. And that, that to me, just cannot be right. Um, thirdly, uh, HMR's view, sorry, HMRC's view uh, wasn't consistent with the, um, with the penalty scheme for inaccuracies in, in tax returns. So the penalties uh, rules use the same sort of wording and, uh, and their deliberate inaccuracies are treated as the most serious kind, attracting the steepest penalties. So let me see if I can summarise that. So, so for there to be a deliberate inaccuracy in a document, there will have to be an intention to mislead the revenue on the part of the taxpayer as to the truth of that relevant statement. Is that, is that right? Uh, yeah, yes, exactly that. Um, I, I suppose the, the only caveat is that you know, possibly if you are reckless as to whether or not a document would mislead HMRC, then that, that could also amount to uh, deliberate. But um, that wasn't the case here. Um, the next piece of analysis uh, in the judgment is about um, when we talk about an inaccuracy in a document, uh, what does in a document mean? Uh, so the court below, uh, Court of Appeal, has been quite narrow in interpreting this. So if you make an inaccurate statement in a document like a tax return, that's enough to fall foul of the legislation here, even if you explain elsewhere, uh, uh, even in the same document, uh, what it is that you've done. So that's a seemingly pedantic point, but it but it matters because uh, quite often, uh, as in this case, uh, official forms like tax returns, they don't quite give you the option to explain your particular circumstances or, or to, 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 you know, to, to put the information information uh, forward in the way that you would want to. And I might add that that's not just a problem in, in tax, but in, in, you know, in various uh, uh, government forms. So typically what you do is you give the best answer you can and, and you explain it or expand on it elsewhere. And in effect, that's what Mr. Tooth did. So he put his loss in what was obviously the wrong box in the tax return, the employment loss, and he put it in the partnership section uh, because he couldn't put it anywhere else. But he explained elsewhere in the return what was going on. So on the whole, the document was not inaccurate, even though it was not accurate to put an employment loss in the partnership pages. Uh, and this is where the uh, the Supreme Court provided, I think, some much needed common sense. So HMRC had said it wasn't appropriate to take account of the wider context uh, because tax returns are read, at least initially, by computers who don't really do nuanced contextual analysis very well. Um, so this is the sort of tunnel vision approach. Just look at the alleged inaccurate statement on its own. And the Supreme Court was having none of that. They said that, you know, uh, a document that's written in the English language uh, or any language other than computer language, uh, it doesn't have a different meaning depending on whether it's read by a human being or by a computer. You know, the general principle of interpretation requires you to look at the statement in the context of the document as a whole. Uh, in this case, when you looked at the document as a whole, it wasn't inaccurate. The entry in the partnership section was explained. Okay, so, so you mentioned earlier, Matt, about the second issue, whether HMRC acted quickly enough to raise a discovery assessment. Can you tell me a little bit about that? 
Yes, uh, this is sometimes uh, referred to as staleness. And, and, and this is an idea that really got going uh, only in the last, I'd say, eight years uh, following some, some remarks in an upper tribunal case uh, called, called Charlton. And, and what, what, what is actually meant by staleness? Well, as I was saying earlier, so HMRC can raise an assessment if they discover a loss of tax uh, and there's a time limit for them to do so. So that's the four year, six year or 20 year if the loss was deliberate. So in a nutshell, staleness means that even if HMRC are within the relevant time limit, they still have to act reasonably promptly to raise an assessment once they've discovered a loss of tax. Uh, so they can't just, for example, sit on it until the time limit's about to expire and then raise the assessment. So the legislation uh, uh, says that if an inspector discovers a loss of tax, um, that's sort of the, the, the wording that, uh, that, that is used. So with staleness, it's, it's almost as if you read in some extra words there, and, and, and it's almost as though it's if and when uh, an inspector discovers a loss of tax, uh, he can raise an assessment. So this argument uh, had gained a lot of traction over recent years and, and quite a bit of uh, uh, judicial support. Uh, although you know, it's fair to say that opinion, I think, amongst practitioners has been has been divided. Um, um, and what did the Supreme Court think of it? Not a lot. Uh, uh, there's a couple of points uh, that, that, that they looked at. Uh, firstly, um, as a sort of a preliminary point, I suppose, uh, more than one inspector can make a discovery. So if Officer A discovers a loss of tax and then retires or gets redeployed elsewhere, in HMRC, uh, then Officer B can also make a discovery of the same loss of tax. So the idea of HMRC having uh, collective knowledge such that they only can discover something once, that doesn't apply in this particular context. Uh, perhaps more significantly though, the Supreme Court was clear, there is no additional requirement to act promptly uh, in raising a discovery assessment, uh, except you know, in order to comply with the statutory four year, six year or, or, or 20 year uh, time limits. There's no, there's no requirement in the legislation beyond that. And, and does the same principle apply in VAT? Uh, no, so, so the rules for assessments of this, of this nature in VAT are, are different. Uh, the time limits are slightly different as well, depending on the circumstances. Uh, but also in VAT, there is an express uh, additional time limit in the statute uh, that requires HMRC to raise the assessment uh, within a year of gaining sufficient knowledge to justify the assessment. So, so overall, do you think HMRC will be happy with the judgment? Um, well, I'm, I'm sure they'll be relieved at the court's approach to staleness. Uh, it was causing all sorts of uh, practical difficulties and concerns for HMRC. Um, one upside for taxpayers, though, is that uh, you know if, if the revenue have now got more clarity about their time limits, then hopefully they'll be less likely to uh, rush out a protective discovery assessment before they've had a chance to fully explore the issue with the taxpayer. I mean, obviously, if they're up against the four-year, six-year or 20-year time limit, then they may still do that. But they're not going to have this sort of uh, ill-defined, uh, reasonable period in which they have to uh, issue the assessment that they might have had uh, if staleness had been endorsed by the Supreme Court. Uh, on, on the other point, on the deliberate uh, inaccuracy point, I think the law is, is perhaps now where it always was thought to be. Um, so this is a bit of an oversimplification, but I think you know, now if you are a taxpayer acting honestly, uh, then you shouldn't be facing allegations of deliberate behaviour from HMRC. But, but that doesn't mean that all discovery assessments are valid as long as they're within the statutory time limit, though, does it? Uh, no, no, not at all. So, I mean, the, 
as I mentioned earlier, there are a lot of other conditions, uh, such as whether uh, whether the revenue could have been aware of the loss of tax based on what you'd already told them. Uh, there's also the you know the prevailing practice defence, and then there could be a fierce debate about which time limit applies. So, for example, whether or not the taxpayer has been careless, and and therefore whether the revenue can go back six years, or or, or are they stuck with just the four years? Well, thanks, Matt. Um, that's all we have time for now. I'm, I'm sure that in future podcasts, we'll, we'll be looking at um, those issues for Discovery 7 for a bit more. But, um, but for now, goodbye.